So good morning and thank you all so much for coming on this wonderful New Jolly College. Um, today's class, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, uh, Chapter 4, Text 31. So I was thinking about going ahead and see if we could finish the chapter, but let's just see how it goes. We don't have to do anything. Uh, so I was thinking we'll just go ahead because they're short, but you know we might get involved in a verse, so we can do as we like. <coughs> Kim ba Bhagavata Dharma Na Prayna Nirupitaha Priyaha Parmahamsana this one 
sound like it has meaning. Let me read the previous verse too. Uh, Shula Vyas is thinking, I am feeling incomplete, although I myself am fully equipped with everything required by the Vedas. In other words, I know everything. But in my work, I'm feeling uh, a little let down. I don't feel complete. So then this verse, he says, this may be because I did not specifically point out the devotional service of the Lord, which is dear both to perfect beings and to the infallible Lord. So I say, you can repeat, this may be because. This may be because. I did not specifically. I did not specifically. Point out the devotional service of the Lord. Point out the devotional service of the Lord. Which is dear both to perfect beings. Which is dear both to perfect beings. And to the infallible Lord. And to the infallible Lord. Purport by His divine grace. Shiva Isi Bhaktivedanta Swami Shiva Prabhupada. The dissatisfaction which is being felt by Srila Vyasadeva is expressed herein in his own words. He was this was felt for the uh, this was felt for the normal condition of the living entity in the devotional service of the Lord. Unless one is fixed in normal condition of service, either the Lord, neither the Lord nor the living entity can become fully satisfied. This defect is felt by him when Nard Muni, his spiritual master, reached him. It is described as follows in the next verse. Okay. So, once again, the verse is, this may be because I did not specifically point out the devotional service of the Lord, which is dear both to the perfect beings and to the infallible Lord. Oma Gantamarindasya Kanantanam Shavakaya Chakshu Unmilitangena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Mano Vishtam Shtapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Upakadamayam Dadanti Swapadantakam Vajakalpa Tarubhyascha Kritasinubhyascha Patitamam Bhavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyam Namo Namaha so, what's going on with Srila Vyasadeva here? He's the Supreme Lord, really. Why is he feeling incomplete? He knows everything, but he feels dissatisfaction because he didn't specifically describe devotional service and the pastimes of the Lord. Now, why is that? He already knows them. You see? It's his compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. You see, he wants to make sure that they uh, have the advantage or the, uh, the uh, ability, the opportunity to hear about devotional service. You see, now why the Vedas? The Vedas are so vast. What's what's such a big deal about devotional service? A lot of people may say, well, look, look at all he had, that he had compiled. So he left out devotional service. That's just a small part, isn't it? That's really what makes it all work. It's the fuel for the whole thing. It's like if you go buy a brand new car, but it doesn't have any gas in it. It doesn't work. You have to put fuel in it, you see? So devotional service is what makes everything work. And this is the hard point sometimes for us to get together when we're preaching to newer people. 
you know, people that are coming from like a new age kind of religion, uh, even in, in other religions, <clears throat> they, they don't all believe in devotional service the way we do. They don't see, they believe you should do some things. And you should uh, you should go to church and you should associate you should have fellowship and like that and you should make some offering you should tithe uh, and do a little bit of service here and there cut the grass at the church once in a while you know so you know do some things like that but they don't fully understand devotional service the way the Krishna Bhakta does the Krishna Bhakta understands Devotional service is what makes the whole thing happen. It's what the whole thing is about. You see, we're here to perform loving devotional service to Krishna. You see, that is the culmination of all the Vedas. That's the icing on the cake. It's the point of everything. It's what everything is, is presented for, to get to devotional service. The whole yoga system is meant to lead you to bhakti yoga performing loving devotional service, you see. So it's um, uh, it's not a part of it. It's not the most important part. It is the essence. It's, it's, it's what it's all about, you see, the performing devotional service. So uh, sometimes it takes us, when we first come in contact with Krishna consciousness. Sometimes it takes us a long time to figure that out. You know, some much, much longer than others. We don't realize. You know, we think, well, I'm chanting Hare Krishna, aren't I? You know, isn't that enough? Lord Chaitanya said that was enough. How can you argue with that? If I just chant Hare Krishna, isn't that enough? What's the defect if I just chant Hare Krishna? I mean, every time I come around the temple, they're trying to get me to do something. I don't want to do anything. Maybe I'll do a little something once in a while. You know, really, I just want to chant. I just want to chant Hare Krishna. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about moving to the Himalayas, and I'll sit there in the Himalayas and I'll just chant. You see, some little village at the foot of the Himalayas. See, and I'll just chant. So, but what's the purpose of chanting Hare Krishna? The reason why Hare Krishna, the chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra works, the potency in, in, in chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra is we get to associate with the Supreme Lord through praying to Him while we're praying to Him to engage us in loving devotional service. You see? So the magic that happens that makes us spiritual, that liberates us, is performing loving devotional service. It's the crown, you know. It's the uh, it's the essence of what we're all about. So we're chanting Hare Krishna, yes, and that leads to devotional service, which is pleasing both to you and Krishna. Now, in, in the material world, people say, "Well, wait a minute, hold on. How is service me serving somebody else?" How is that pleasing to me? Because we're not we're not used to thinking like that in the material world. I would rather have somebody serving me. When I'm doing something to somebody else, it's just because I kind of have to, or you know, I want to make a tokenary uh, gesture. I'll, I'll 
past an assault or something. <laughs> I'll hold the door open. Isn't that service enough? And maybe I'll do a few things here and there, but I'm not really going to get wrapped up in it. You see? So, people aren't so uh, um, attuned to service to others because we're in material consciousness. You see, spiritual consciousness typically is just the opposite of material consciousness. Spiritual, whatever you, until you become spiritually advanced, take whatever thought you have, whatever decision you make, and do just the opposite. Because the materialist makes a decision for his own gratification. You see, the devotee is striving to learn how to make decisions for the gratification of the Lord. You see, it's just that simple. We repeat it, we repeat it, we, we repeat it. And after some time, we find that, that some people start to get the picture, you see. But we're here <clears throat> to serve the Supreme Lord. Now, some people might wonder, you know, why? What, what is all this about service? You know, why am I training to perform service? You know, are they... You know, maybe the immigration laws to the spiritual world, the local Vrindavan are really tight and there's no, there's no immigrants up there to work the, the menial jobs, you know. There's no servants, you know. Maybe that's it. You know, some places in the world, you, you, there's just not enough menial laborers. Is that what it is? Are you Hare Krishnas down here just recruiting menial laborers? Because there's no... Immigrant, illegal immigrants up there to do the grunt work. Is that it? I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Service, service, service. That's all I hear out of you guys is service. You know, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing about this service. You know, I just want to chant and feast and and, and do my thing. I want. To, I've got a thing I want to do. I've got. You know how many desires I have. I got a whole lifetime of desires, and I want them fulfilled. So I'm going to chant Hare Krishna. I'm going to get my desires fulfilled. I'm going to go back to Godhead. All right, well, if we don't adopt the service mood here, what are we going to do when we get back to Godhead? You know? Oh, well, if we get back out, we never get back to Godhead. Oh, but I'll get back because I'm chanting Hare Krishna. See? And, but I'll, I'll adopt it. I'll, I'll get the service attitude then. You know? Take me first, Krishna. Me serve later. You see? Or maybe they have a course. You know, like when you get there, there's a course that you have to take. Like, you have to take a course to get your insurance license or your real estate license. So when you get to Goloka Vrindavan, you have to take a course on how to become a servant. So I'll wait on the course. But until then, I've got, I've got so many things and I have so many plans. Maybe later we can get together and I'll tell you all my plans and all my desires. You're going to think, wow, I wish I was you. <laughs> so, and that's perfectly normal for people to think like that. I need mine. I want, for me I want, for my family I want, and for this I want. But truly, we have to learn to start wondering, my dear Lord, what do you want? Because it really, truly pleases us. As a matter of fact, it's the only pleasure we can feel when we serve the Lord, when we serve God. 
when we perform loving devotional service to God, it's the only time we can feel satisfied. That's how we get satisfied. You see, which uh, is a little different than from what we've been taught in the, in the material world. In the material world, if I'm serving somebody else, how is that good? What's attractive about that? I don't want to serve myself or, or have them serve me. That would be even better. You see, as long as I can be the center of attention. Of course, many people, they, we find they want to be the center of attention and they work so, they strive so hard. Many people to, be, to get attention. But if the whole room focuses attention on them, they get embarrassed. You know, it's there. There's always somebody who's trying to steal attention. And then if everybody turns, what? Oh, oh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're really embarrassed. They start to hope somebody, why don't you focus on somebody else? You know? So um, that's the nature of the fallen conditioned soul. We're in the Loka Vrindavan with Krishna. Krishna gets all the attention. Why? Because he's the most fantastic. He's the most beautiful. He's the most attractive. You see? He's the most dear. He's the most wonderful. He's the center of everybody's attraction. He's the center of, of the whole cosmos. And I get a little envious and I want some of that for me. You see? But it's not going to work there. It's not going to work in the spiritual sky. Because who the heck is going to pay attention to me when Krishna is there? You know? How could I possibly get my wish? But I want to, I want some attention. You know, I can try to do this or that or sing a song or you know, I'll get a, I'll go out and get a fancy hairdo. You know, that'll get everybody no, it doesn't get everybody's attention. They're still focused on Krishna. You see. So, because I have this enviousness, I mean, it's not that I want to kill him or anything. I just want, I want some of his action, you see. So, I have to come to the material world to do that. I have to come here. And now here, how do you find Krishna? I don't have Krishna to com uh, compete with. I just have to compete with you and you and you and all these other people, you see. And I can compete. Some of them it's tougher. Some of them it's very easy. But I can compete. I've got a chance to serve me and get other people to serve me. And uh, I've got a chance to make my own plans and do what I want to do. You see, I can buy a, a lot and put my house on it and it's mine. You know? And I can do all kinds of things to attract attention. You know, I can, uh, well, you know, the list is, is endless on what people do to attract attention, you see. So, uh, we spend our lives, our material lives, just trying to attack, uh, attract attention. You see? I want, first of all, we, you notice it's very common amongst our fellow man that they want to be noticed. Look at the way people, I don't know if you've noticed, but people that I've known that are oftentimes very quiet and meek. They're a little shy to get much, although they want attention, but they're shy. But you get them on the internet. 
Oh man, you talk about bold, but you can't see them on the internet. You don't know where they are. You know, they could be in, in uh, Massachusetts or Florida or Alaska or who knows where. So you, you can't go to them and say, hey, stop that nonsense. You can't. You see? You get them on the internet, their own private uh, computer in their own private room, and then all of a sudden, they're bold like everything. I've known that because I find out who it is that's doing this, some of this bold stuff, and I think, gosh, you know, I'm surprised that you would say, they won't say anything around people. I've seen people, uh, you know, I had this one brahmacharya that I lived with one, one time for a while. When he was around people, he was so shy that he wouldn't say anything. He was afraid, he was embarrassed to say anything. He was just like, oh, you know, shucks, you know. I could get him, he would go distribute books. I told him a line to say, and he would go do that, and he did okay distributing books. But he hardly ever had anything to say. But when he got on the internet, he would put on this, this uh, mask. All of a sudden now he's bold. And it's like in your face. You would never know it's the same person. You see. Tamal Krishnamaras wrote this paper when he was a student at uh, SMU. He was working on his, his PhD. And it's called the, the masks that we wear. How people wear a mask, you know. Uh, and and the, the funny thing is, if you know somebody for a long time, you can see them change their mask. You know, it's like I had uh, hippie friends, and they were they had the hippie mask on, and they had long grungy hair, and they wore a certain kind of cloth, and you know, and they talked a certain way. They had some sort of a they had their own language, you know, for the most part. They make up their own language. And then they change to something else. They're wearing a different mask. They're wearing different clothing, a different hairdo. And they, they've got a different language that they're speaking now. And then later on, they become very successful. And uh, they're playing golf at the country club. Now they have a whole new mask, a whole new hairdo, you know, a whole new language that they're speaking, you know, with, when I say language, I mean, you know, the, the buzzwords. I, it's, I, I think it's so funny to watch how people in America, well, probably in Europe too, but, but I notice a lot in America how they go for the buzzwords, you know. Like, isn't it really awesome? It's so awesome. It's so awesome that it's awesome. And I'm feeling awesome today. That's an awesome drum. Boy, you know. Your kurta is awesome. And I'm so sick of saying awesome, but I can't think of anything awesome to say. You know, it's just, you get around people and it's just like, every other word is awesome. Why is that? Is it because things are awesome? Have they ever looked in a dish dictionary? I don't think so. The way they describe awesome in a dictionary is something that's a word that's reserved for something like, I don't know, what do you think, maybe Krishna? <laughs> Krishna is awesome. He strikes awe. You know, I mean, he'll knock you back. Awe. You, you know, you get you get so awed out that you might even make that sound. Awe. Whoa. You know. See. So, 
Your kurta's not really awesome. It's very nice. It's very nice. But we, we abandon speaking clearly because I want to be identified with a crowd. And if I use that word a lot, that shows that I'm pretty hip. You know, because I... That guy over there uses it a lot, and he's pretty hip. Whenever he gets a lot of attention. He's sometimes he's the center of attention, and he says awesome like five times every in every sentence. So I I gotta keep up with him because I want some attention too. I want you to think of me like I think of him. So I'm gonna dress like him, I'm gonna walk like him, I'm gonna wear my hair like him, and I'm gonna I'm going to speak like I'm going to adapt his language because I want attention. He caught my attention. So I'm thinking if I'm like him, I'll catch your attention. That's the way it works in the material world. It's unfortunate and it's sad to see our fellow man led around like that. They're such fools. They're such fools. You see. Which is the difficulty when we meet them in engaging them in devotional service. Because they've got their own foolish path. And they don't realize, but it keeps changing. They keep modifying their persona. To stay in, in what, to, to attempt to stay in the center of attention with as many people as possible. You see. But they're such fools. They're, they're, they're following, they're riding on the crest of the wave of fad after fad after fad. Because they want to keep up. They want to be looked at as very, uh, very intelligent, very special, like very awesome. You know? So they pick up the birds, buzzwords, they pick up the catchphrases. You know, uh, they adopt to the, the hairdos and the styles and whatever that the, that the hip people are, are doing that they want to emulate so that they can steal as much attention as they can. So when we get uh, an opportunity to preach to them, how can we get them to take up devotional service? How can we get them to become humble? You know? How do you say to somebody, you're not special at all. There's nothing special about you. Until you start to perform devotional service, then you're the most special. If you perform loving devotional service, you are the most special to Krishna. The Supreme notices you. He's pleased when you do loving devotional service to Him, and you're pleased. So you get His attention. You get the attention of the Supreme. You see? Which is much more attention than all the living entities the innumerable living entities added together. See, that's our foolish mentality. I'm thinking I want to get everybody's attention. But if I've got Krishna's attention, I've got so much attention. I've got more attention than I can imagine. You see? We're just a little... Uh, we have a, we're a little impersonal, which mean, impersonal means a little atheistic. Unless you have full faith in Krishna. There's a little bit, there's a streak at least of atheism there. You see. And we've, we've come here to hide from God, that's why we come to the material world, 
to get away from this guy who gets all the attention. He's the center of attention. And damn it, I want to be the center of attention just once. You know? Get away from this Krishna. If I can get away from him, maybe I can get some attention. I mean, here I am in the local Vrindavan, and everything is just, I mean, everything out of people's mouths is Krishna this, Krishna that, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. I'm sick and tired of Krishna. You see? Everybody's talking about this. What about me? Krishna says, hey, look, you know, if you'd like to be, you know, if you'd like to be in charge of things, if you'd like to get all this attention, well, then, you know, you can go to the mature world and you can kick off your tour by being Lord Brahma. I have a universe that needs creating and managing. Would you like to be the top guy? You see? And we're like, oh, yeah, oh. Yeah, sure. So, Krishna doesn't get angry and just throw you in to a, as a worm in stool, you know. He doesn't get angry. He knows this is some small flaw that you have. You want to see if you can enjoy separately from me. You want to see if you can enjoy without performing service to me. And you want to see if you can enjoy by performing service to yourself. You see? So, all right, off you go. Have a nice trip. I'm going to sneak along with you. You know, as Paramatma. Because you can't exist without me. You know, but you're going to have to figure that out on your own. So Krishna's like the transcendental stowaway. You know, here he is. He didn't buy a ticket. He's in the body. And he's right there next to you, observing. And wondering, when, 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 are, when is my beloved going to start to perform devotional service? Not because he needs the service. See, the materialists, they have a problem with this service thing that we talk about a lot because they think that God is just some sort of a, a guy that uh, he demands service because he's uh, uh, he's cruel strict and stern you know, he doesn't need our service we need to perform the service it's, it goes against the grain of the material world we need to perform a service. You see, that's that's what fuels us as living entities. That's what we are. We are a service of Krishna. That's our true ego. That's not false ego. True ego. We are servants of Krishna. You see, it's just like sometimes people use uh, certain things for uh, for the wrong purpose. Like they use a kitchen knife. For a screwdriver you ever see people do something like that and you end up breaking the screwdriver i mean you, you break the you've done it you know have you had to hit him over the head a couple of times brother for, for doing things like that no. <laughs> but you know you use something that you should to do a, a chore that it, it's not meant to do and it, it something breaks and it doesn't work as good you see so that's what we are. We as living entities, that's we are servants of Krishna. Bus. Finished. There is no story after that. That is the story. That's who we are. That's what we are. It's what we do. You see. 
In the liberated stage, we, re we realize that. I'm servant of Krishna. That's what I do. You know? I don't do anything else. That's my purpose. And that is what I love. That's what gives me enjoyment. You see? When I'm in harmony with uh, the meaning of my being, which is to serve God, I feel great bliss. You see? I can't enjoy unless I'm being enjoyed by Krishna. I'm not the enjoyer. I'm the enjoyed. I'm the enjoyed not only by Krishna, but by uh, Krishna's associates. I want to please them and be enjoyed by them as well. You see? And in turn, Krishna wants to serve us. It's a, it's a reciprocal relationship. Krishna wants to do for us. He, he gives us the very energy that we need to be, to exist. You know, some people think that we exist and God exists and there's some separation. But no, we're like, um, we're like the rays of the sun. You see, without the sun, the sunlight would go away. It's like you see that the sun comes through the window and it's on the floor over there. You see, well, without the sun, that wouldn't be there. That would cease to be. You can put something, something in, in between the sun and that light on the floor, and the light goes away. You see, it's dependent on its connection with the sun. It's part and parcel of the sun. It is the sun. But yet the sun is still there. So we're like that. We are part and parcel of Krishna. And we are, we are serving Him. He's serving us by giving us everything. He fulfills all of our desires. He always has. He always will. You see? He fulfills our desires. All energy comes from Him. Anything that we could possibly ever enjoy comes from Krishna. So he's always fulfilled. He's, he has given us all the enjoyment that we've ever been able to experience. Whether it's nonsense or whatever. You see. Sometimes a devotee gets attached uh, or attracted, maybe even attached to nonsensical activities. So, you know, Krishna says, all right, you know, I'll fulfill that desire. Otherwise, how does it get fulfilled? So, of course, the devotee has to be very careful when he has nonsensical desires. You know, you have to be very careful because one, one step leads to another. I've seen so many, uh, unfortunately, I've even seen gurus get caught in that trap. You know, I can tell stories, but I'm, it's too ghastly to tell about you know, this kind of gurus that in the past got caught up in that. But let's say uh, uh, normal devotees like us you know, get caught up thinking that I can do a little of this, just a little nonsense. That's all I'm talking about. You know, I'm not talking about uh, eating meat. I'm not going to go order a steak or something like that. But a little nonsense, you know. Typically, it starts with uh, like going to movies, watching TV. Now, a lot of people say. Well, what's wrong with that? It's just a little 
bit of payment. But we, we're always striving to, to associate with better and better devotees. You know, people who have better and better devotional habits, and that way it'll rub off on us and we'll make advancement and like that. If you associate with people on television or in the movies, you can see that these people don't have very good devotional habits. And they, their habits will start to rub off on us. You're in their private lives. You're in their bedrooms. You're in their kitchen. You see them eating. You know, you see what they eat. You're tempted. You see how they dress, how they wear their hair. You're, you know, it starts to affect you. You know, if you want to be a certain way, you have to associate with people who are that way. And if you associate... It, it is association when you're watching television. You're associating with these people, you see, in a very surrendered way. You're very surrendered to it. You're sitting there and you're having no influence whatsoever over what's happening, you see. So sometimes people think, well, just a little bit won't hurt. Just a little bit, you know. Let me... You know, if I'm if I'm only breaking one principle, well, there's four. I mean, give me credit. I'm, I'm, I'm doing seventy-five percent for crying out loud. You know, three out of four. Why don't you look at the at the three out of four? Here you are picking on me for the one. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this to me? You see? Why are you looking at my shortcoming? What are you judging me? Oh gosh, I just hate that. You know, it's a new agey thing. That thing didn't come. But you know, being judgmental, you know. Do you think it's too cold in here? No, I'm just kidding. I know. See, I ask that sometimes. Do you think it's too hot or too cold? Is it too hot? It's relative. You just made a judgment. You're judgmental. <laughs> you know, some people. People walk up to you and say, oh, it's really hot today. Oh, well, you're really judgmental now, aren't you? Did you pass the salt? There's not enough salt in this. What? You're passing judgment on my cooking. You see how foolish this is? We judge every minute of every day. It's either too hot or it's too cold. We try to get set the, the temperature to where we want it. You see? Somebody's speaking too loud or speaking too softly, you may have to say, pardon me, what? You see, we can't live without making a judgment. So who started this don't be judgmental stuff? Losers! <laughs> judge not lest you be judged. Yes. But we want to be judged. We want to be judged. Yeah. I like it. I like it. it well, I try. I, I try to get the opinion of my Sunyasi Godbrothers. You know, you know, used to, many years ago, it was easy to get chastised and, and judged. They were telling me, don't do that. Stop that. That's nonsense. You fool. You know. Don't put your T-lock on in the bathroom, you idiot. <laughs> don't you know it's contaminated? Don't, don't you know the bathroom's contaminated? Fool. Mr. John Maharaj. Yeah. 
You fool. You shouldn't take your tea lock into the bathroom and the stool room. Now get out of here. Yes, Parash. Thank you. You see? I could have said, well, you know, that's awfully judgmental of you. You see? We want to be judged. I want to find out if I've got some deficiencies. I need to fix them. I know I've got them. I can't, I can't, I, I don't feel people are being fair enough. They're not telling me. I know they're there. You see? I need to find, I need to figure it out and fix them. I'm a fixer-upper. I'm, I'm a work in progress. The only, the only individual that's not a work in progress is Krishna's pure devotee. But yet he believes he's a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. You're not looking, you're an artist, aren't you? The painting is not finished. It's not finished. You see? We're, we're still developing this uh, persona. Of, and we're, we're finding out that we are a servant of, of Krishna. And what does that mean? And how do I serve Krishna? And if someone says, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sit like that, or you shouldn't do like that, or, you know, you should be thankful. Oh, good. Now I know. I just learned something. You see? Somebody's telling me, you know, you should give that up. That's ridiculous. Got some silly habit. Cut it loose. That's ridiculous. You know? Of course, sometimes we have to be careful in this day and age. You know, and used to the sannyasis would just really give you the sauce. You know, one of my godbrothers was saying, "I won't tell you who." He was making fun of it. But nowadays, you know, it's kind of like in the old days. You know, you'd say, "Give me some water." Now you have to say, "Prabhu, if it wouldn't disturb you." And if, and if I would make you uncomfortable, and uh, you know, and, and if it's all right, and if you're not busy, and if I'm not imposing, would, would you mind getting me, getting me some water? You know, I'm not trying to be offensive, please. Okay. So you have to be careful now how you uh, with a, not everybody, but with a, with several people, you have to be careful what you say to them. Sometimes in the heat of something, you're doing something, like if you're cooking, you know, you're, when you're cooking, and sometimes you have to do something right now before something burns. So you might have to say, head and salt. Uh, you don't have time to say, could you please, if, if, if it's all right, could, could you kind of have, by that time it's all finished. You know? So sometimes you have to do like that, you know, so. And we, we work together. So we don't mind it. Somebody says, do this, do that. We don't mind it. No, you know, when you have a loving uh, relationship with somebody, your skin gets pretty thick. You see? Somebody may be having uh, a rotten day. It's not my fault, I don't think. But they're having a rotten day and they're taking it out on me. You know? I can I can do that for them if that's what I need for them to get get through this moment. I can take it. Why do I care? You know, any, anything bad you can say about me is more than likely true anyway. So I can take it. I deserve it. So, but we can't we can't 
uh, afford for ourselves to hang on to uh, inappropriate ha habits that we have. You see, we have to give all that up. The following of the material world, when we come in, we should be able to check that at, at the door. You see, so many things we just are so attached to, and we believe that they have become part of us. You see, it's so hard to give them up. Somehow or other, we identify some uh, enjoyment. It's so unfortunate how we think of enjoyment. Uh, we're trying so hard to enjoy, and we're missing we're just missing the point. We're, we're, we're trying to do things that are unenjoyable to enjoy. I say we, I'm, look, I'm talking about, uh, look at the, the populace out here. Look at the things that they do. It's not enjoyable to become intoxicated. It's not. It's suffering. It's just suffering. You ever been around people who are intoxicated? Surely you've been around people who have had too much to drink. They don't look like they don't look like they're having a good time. They usually want to fight. You know, they start hollering, threatening each other. I want to kill you. You know, before they got into that, they were behaving themselves and might even be gentle. But now they're intoxicated and they're and so people are trying to enjoy things that are unenjoyable. And it leads to what? Frustration. That leads to anger. You know, I'm trying to enjoy so hard by doing something that's unenjoyable, so then I become uh, anger. I get angry. That's so unfortunate. So the devotee of Krishna starts to think that, well, the only way I can enjoy is to please Krishna and to please Krishna's devotees. A good way to, to, to understand if you're pleasing Krishna is if you're pleasing the devotees. If the devotees are happy, it's a good indication, excuse me, that Krishna's happy. You see? If you go to Bill Gates' house and you make his children happy, I think Bill's probably going to be kind of happy with you. you know? <coughs> He's got all kinds of money. You can't give him a, a new Rolex. He's probably got ten of them or whatever. But if you do something nice for his children, he's going to think, wow, what a nice person you are. I like you. You've got, to, you've got to come back. You know, what's your email address? You know, let's text. <laughs> you see? So the devotee tries to serve Krishna and Krishna's devotees. And if you're making the devotee, if you're satisfying the devotees, it's a good indication that you're satisfying Krishna. So I think we've got time for one, or one question or two? Do we have some time? Okay. Yes, Mother? Um, this has to do with just the overall context of what we're reading. Um, in the Mahabharata, first of all, the Bhagavad Gita is in the Mahabharata, and then the Bhagavad has two devotees like Arjuna, Amulas, Kunti, Tijma. So, in a sense, the Mahabharata has a lot of devotional service, wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He needed the, the, the Bhagavatam. He, he needed Krishna's pastimes to be satisfied. Yeah. 
and he, he needed more about devotional service, which is really the point of the whole thing. It's the point of the whole thing. So, uh, and this is Krishna's adventure that he's doing. He's doing it this way. And the reason why is because it's, it's written down and then it's, it's a way for us to realize the importance of devotional service. Is that without it, he wasn't pleased in, in his compilation, you know, his comp compiling of the Vedas. He felt like something is missing. See, it wasn't enough. The Bhagavad Gita in, in the midst of the Mahabharata, in the midst of all the Vedas, he felt, no, there needs to be more. See? Now we think, well, the Bhagavad Gita is all you need. Well, that's true. Because we don't have, we're not sifting through the rest of the Vedas. See, we were given Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. And we don't really need anything else. You see. But we're fortunate. Other people, they just have the whole thing to sift through. You see. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Did you? So at this point, he had composed the four Vedas, and then the Mahabharata, the Upanishads, Brahms were afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So when he's doing that, Krishna is not incomplete and he doesn't make mistakes, but he's doing that to illustrate the importance of that uh, portion of the Vedas. Can you talk a little bit about how the Mahabharata, I heard that um, it's 100,000 verses on this planet, but for the Rakshasas, it's more. I haven't. I have heard something about that, but I don't know from a reliable source any, any real numbers. I don't know. Anything else? Now, Krishna did this. Krishna Dwapiyan Vyas. He's having this pastime to show the importance of devotional service. You know, and uh, a lot of people say, all right, with the devotional service, I get it, I get it, I get it. But we don't. We don't. We're so conditioned. We're, you know, we're not. Um, uh, I, I have one Christian friend in Dallas that's, uh, I have uh, several, but one of them is a, is a Bible scholar. His father was a Bible scholar. And he's a Bible scholar. And he's been a Bible scholar all of his life, and he's he's in his sixties now. And uh, I like to sit. Sometimes I go over to his house, and I'll sit and talk for hours about philosophy. It's amazing how we, there's so much we agree on, and it's amazing how much they don't get. I'm not saying, oh, we're better. This isn't a material thing where our, we think our team can beat their team or anything like that. But I'm sitting there talking with a man who studied the Bible all his life. And his, I mean, from the time he could think, his father was a great theologian. And he'll have that look. You know the look that people get when they have this realization? They stop and They blink Wow, I never thought of that. 
And they'll be sitting there arguing. Well, in the Bible it says, and in the Bible, and in the Bible, and the Bible, and the Bible. I said, okay, well, hold it on the Bible for a minute. I don't know it well enough. I bet it does say it in there. It may say it in some other wording. Or maybe it's in the section of the Bible that they don't pay attention to because they're focused on other sections, you see. But what about the nature of God and you start to talk about service to God? And this guy's also a big-time football fan. He loves to watch the Dallas Cowboys. He'll sit down and he just goes crazy. So he's also really big into 70s music. Likes it so, and he when he's putting together a sermon to preach at church, he'll put on his his earphones, listen to his '70s music while he's putting together his thing for the sermon. And I told him, I said, "That's completely foolish." What do you mean? I like that music. It relaxes me. Huh? Why don't you listen to something? Don't you have anything about God? You call yourself, you, you say you're, you're serving with God, but yet you can take three hours out of your day and get welded to the TV, screaming when the Cowboys make a, a touchdown, you know, going crazy. You, are you thinking about God at that? Well, if, no, I guess not. All right, so in other words, the football's coming between you and God. Well, I wouldn't say that... Okay, maybe. Okay, so the, the so football is as evil as Satan. Well, ah, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, and all these things that you do that aren't fixing your mind on your beloved Jesus Christ are coming between you and Jesus Christ. Therefore, they are evil. Oh my God, I've never thought of that. It's, wow, you know. It's never too late to have an epiphany in life. Does it say that in Father Medina? It's my accent or someone. Yeah. Just on that, I mean, through your whole class, I had like 20 different questions, so I can't go back to each and every single one. My mind just goes, um, That On that last statement, we said well, it's never too late to have an epiphany. And. It was interesting, we had this devotee Parmeshwar give a class uh, uh, yesterday, Brennan's class, and he was very much into the, uh, I, 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 I is very old school, he said, well, this is a war, you know, yeah. and, and, and we have war against Maya, and I was like, yeah, I haven't heard this in like, like light years, you know, we hear all these other classes about Rila, and this and that, the flattery, false ego, and stuff like that, yeah. and it's like, wow, I miss having classes where it's like, get to the point, get to the mission at hand. But then you see examples of either different devotees that never got that training, you know, or they got some weird training where somebody, you know, like you mentioned, might have was too heavy and then fell down and fell away from the movement. And then now they just, you know, salaries, it's all, you know, too austere for food. You shouldn't be like this. You should be, yeah. you know, you got to be balanced. You know, so I'm wondering, like, when you say, I mean, there's a saying, you know, once a tree grows a certain way, you can't really bend it back over it. you got to chop it down. And I'm wondering, the, old, the older we are conditioned in the material world, that's why it's a Kumara Aja from the beginning of age, once you've been trained to grow in charge like this, 
how do we, what is the strategic way to train up people in that type of spirit well, at the same time not frying people out? First of all, you got to see a, a, a living example. So first of all, we got to be it. If we're going to teach it, we got to be it. If we're going to talk it, we got to walk it. And we didn't, enough of us, we need a core. And we've got, Islam has a core of people that are talking it and walking it. Now there are some that are questionable, <laughs> but for the most part, there is, a, there is a core of those who are talking the talk and walking the walk, you see. So first of all, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to do that. Now, for somebody later in life that is going to make a change, the epiphany may not be a good description. When you're younger, you have an epiphany. You're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, realization. Oh, oh, you know, the angels. You, know, you just have the realization. As you go past a certain point, it's not going to come like that. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Forty years is a long time to observe. And even somebody with my low intelligence, I've observed that it takes, sometimes you, you go past the epiphany and you've got to be broken. I mean, you've got to have a life-changing event. Something horrible happens in your life. Something terrible. You know, uh, oftentimes it's, it's uh, <clears throat> oftentimes you get a disease and you're going to die. And then it's like, oh, Krishna, oh, please help me. I've been nonsense ever since I left the movement. Now here I am dying. Please, Krishna, please send the devotees. I want to die here in Kirtan. You had an epiphany, but you were broken. <laughs> the doctor says, you know, well, you got maybe two, three months, you know, or you could go at any time. Oh, Krishna. Oh, save me. You know. I was thinking of Saddam. You know, he, you know, he got that fatal disease. It's like, you know, people that, uh, that want to, they want to quit drinking, but they but their liver hasn't fallen out yet. So I want to do it, and I know I should. And it's, I'm starting to get sick from it. But you know, it's not really it's not emergency room time yet. Smoking cigarettes. I want to smoke and smoke and smoke. But you know, this one that I got right here, this one's not going to kill me. So I don't have to be afraid of this one. This is just another one. No, I'm not going to smoke them until I die. I'm not going to smoke them until I get lung cancer. Not me. Because I know that this one ain't going to hurt me. You see what I mean? So that's the nature of people who get... They don't they go and they go and they... And then all of a sudden, the doctor says, well, you know, you've got... But my, my stepfather was like that. The doctor kept telling him he needed to quit smoking cigarettes. And he kept, uh, he would say, oh, what does that doctor know? I'm not sick. Well, he had a black thing in his lungs. And so then all of a sudden, the doctor told him, you have emphysema. And he said, well, 
I got to quit. <laughs> not today. You know? And then the doctor told him, you're going to die. And he said, when? And he said, any minute. You're going to die. Go get your affairs in order because you're leaving. It could be a week. could be a month. But man, you're out of here. And then all of a sudden, here's this broken man. Oh, I'm so sorry for the way I've treated people. And I'm so sorry for the things that I've done. And I'm so sorry for the... <coughs> I wish I had another. So sometimes, it, it, you have to, the person has to be broken. You see. And that's only if Krishna, if you get Krishna's mercy, he cares for you enough. There's enough sincerity that he's going to break you to the point where you'll throw yourself on his mercy. If you still got this puffed up attitude that I, I you know, I don't need you and I don't need that and I don't need this and that's I, me, and mine, then why not just let you die? Get your karma, do it again. But if you've got some sincerity, if you're a devotee that's trying, but you're falling down, he may smash you so that you'll have this realization. Yes, Paul? Um, a devotional service, though, doesn't start with thought, though. It's not so much the action. Because I mean, I know a lot of times people will be like, all right, I'm just doing a service. You know? and it's not, they're just doing it just to go through the motion. Well, we don't know enough. We don't have the the knowledge or the advancement that to, to have the feeling in our heart. We don't have it. It starts out with the action. You know, if we perform devotional service on the instruction of a, of a devotee, then after a while, we'll find it attractive. And after a while of finding it attractive, we'll become attached. When we become attached, we're home free. Then our attachment will guide us and our desire to serve will grow and grow and grow. But if, even if in the beginning you may say, I don't really feel it. I mean, I don't think, how many people when they come to the movement, they, they feel it? Well, I just, get out of my way because I want to do a lot of service for Krishna. It's just, you know, like, God, it's probably the smart thing to do. So they start, they do it because, because it's good for me. You know, I've, all my all of my billions of lifetimes, I've been doing what's good for me. When I read the Bhagavad Gita, and I decided that this is the best thing for me to do, best thing for me. I didn't start practicing bhakti yoga for Krishna. I didn't care if I pleased Krishna. I thought I'm going to get some advantage out of this. You know, I didn't want to hook up with Prabhupada to help him in his movement. I thought, I'm going to get some benefit. Some, I'm going to get something from this. And then somewhere along the line, we, we find some attraction in it. And then after a period of being attracted, we become attached. It becomes, that's just what you are. Who you are and what you do. And you can't wait for the feeling to come in your heart. Yeah. Let's just talk about habits, bad habits, because like... For the longest time, I had the bad habit of biting my nails, and I knew it was moochie. I just knew it was yeah. bad, you know. But I was like, unconsciously, I would do it now. Like, oh, but then one day, all of a sudden, I stopped biting my nails. And it was actually this uh, last this year, within the last year, and I joined 99. So it's like, you know. And then I was wondering about that, like, what made it? And 
all of a sudden, like, it just went away. And it's like, I, for years, I just wanted it to go away, but then eventually it just went away. Because I know after after a while, you know, you do get to the point where you think, "Oh man, this is enough." Yeah. If if we could only observe ourselves, and you started observing yourself, you know, a lot of times people do things, and they don't pay any attention that they're doing it. You know, they have a, a nervous habit or something, and they don't hardly they hardly notice it. Even if they notice it, they don't notice it a lot of the time that they're doing it. But when you start to observe yourself. Then all of a sudden you start coming down on yourself and saying, stop this. Just stop it. It's like, in the case of where we give the example, in the beginning we come to the movement or the Christian concept, we're like unconsciously unconscious. And then the next level is we're like conscious that we're unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the third level is that we're Consciously, consciously 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 conscious. Then there's Christian conscious over there. Yeah. Then we're unconsciously conscious. Yeah. Yeah. We're unconsciously conscious. You don't have to be conscious that you're conscious. You just are. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.